on large surfaces, like corrugated boxes, printed patterns on fabrics, etc. The designer uses a shrink rule to determine the amount of growth an image will experience when printed from a cylinder. I don't want to die, Morno. Not like this. Carla watched the gator sling a hunk of bone across the room toward her in his effort to masticate it into submission. In other words, on a 50-inch cylinder, you need to shrink your printing image final by .962 before outputting for die manufacturing. So a 10-inch image would be output at 9.625 inches, or something like that. I'm too tired to do the math right now. Otherwise, a circle when printed would become an egg, because dyes wrapped around a cylinder grow due to the influence of pi. Christ on a cracker, will you shut your gob? We're not going to die. What about this scenario makes you think there's a chance in hell of us getting out? Carla pulled her knees up to her chest as the gator skittered forward a few feet and clamped down on a bone he'd slung across the room. The crunching sounds did little to inspire comfort. The animal had managed to finish off its bovine appetizer and was presently feasting on the midsection of another deer. Okay, you want the truth? We're probably going to die. Feel better? Carla closed her eyes, head lolling against the wall, her body language admitting defeat. Oh, God, just be quiet. Just hush. We sat in silence for about ten minutes, listening to the digestive sounds coming from our friend across the room. Eventually, with her eyes still closed, Carla said, Tell me about your wife, Morno." The segue from silence felt so abrupt, I got that creepy goose flesh feeling on the back of my neck. What? You heard me. Tell me why you left your wife to die alone. Leave it alone, Carla. You got more pressing matters to attend to right now? Carla straightened one leg and adjusted her position, wincing as she moved. We're gonna die anyway. I'd like to know. The gator across the room suddenly felt much less dangerous than the idea of opening up that particular wound. Why? Because you owe me. That's why. Carla stated it with such conviction my blood pressure instantly shot up. I don't owe you shit, woman. Alright. You owe her then. Why don't you explain it to me like you'd explain it to her, if you had the chance. I left my wife two weeks before she died of brain cancer. In an uncharacteristically unguarded moment, I'd let this slip to Carla. I never went into details, mainly because at the time, my reason for telling her was to blunt the pain she was feeling about her own perceived shortcomings. Guilt regarding the part she believed she'd played in the death of her ex-husband and son. Sometimes, to show someone how guilty they aren't, you have to give them a taste of what true shame looks like up close. Marjorie and I married late in life. By the time we met, 
I was working on a moderate drinking habit and had written four pulp detective novels in my spare time when I wasn't doing P.I. work. She was the head librarian at a small local library, and we struck up a casual friendship over the course of a year I'd spent among the stacks doing research. Conversationally, she was one of those extremely intelligent few who made their aptitude appear effortless. She also understood exactly who I was and was not, and wasn't dissuaded by my many flaws. When I introduced her to Muggs one night and they got along like peas in a pod, I decided that while Marjorie could do a whole lot better, I couldn't. She was easy to be with and easy to love, but it wasn't until much later that I realized how fortunate I had been. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. The kind of sound we lesser mortals rarely hear until it's suddenly gone. We'd logged in just shy of 15 good years when she was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. It's not important that you know the technical diagnosis, but here it is. Stage 4 mixed glioneuronal neoplasm, malignant. Strange how a single doctor's appointment to address symptoms as banal as headaches and dizziness can result in months of radiation, chemotherapy, and eventually surgery, all of which my wife handled as if it was yet another task in her day to be completed, while I stayed at work later and later, drank more, and did my best to pretend none of it was happening. When she had the stroke, Marjorie's personality swung in the other direction. My immediate reaction was relief. Relief every time she raved that I should have the cancer and not her. Relief when she went into blind rages over everything. Relief that the fear I knew she must have felt was now fueled by anger because that's easier to deal with than sadness or fear. I was suddenly around more, happy to be the object of her rage, eager to be blamed for it all, because I knew she didn't deserve the hand she got dealt. Overnight, my wife of almost 15 years changed into a bitter, recriminating stranger, and it served me well. The sicker and angrier she got, the easier it was for me to care for her. She lost the use of her left side, began to stutter, couldn't get around by herself, and I was there through it all as she raged against the world. Around the time we were told she had three or four weeks to live, Marjorie came back. I woke up next to her one morning, opened my eyes, and found her smiling at me. Something she hadn't done in months. I can pinpoint that as the moment the part of her that lived in me died. I couldn't bear the old Marjorie being back. By that time, hospice had started coming in twice a day. Marjorie was bedridden, so they had to turn her regularly to keep her from getting bed sores. That's when I started disappearing again. Until one day, I just didn't go back. I worked at the office, drank at the office, and slept at the office. That last week is a blur. I stopped by the house to see her one morning, 
sat at her bedside and talked with her, and then went on a week-long bender, fueled by the understanding I'd seen in her eyes. There's a cruelty in being seen like that, right into the core of you, completely understood, when you not only don't deserve it, you don't want it. The resulting anger isn't fueled by fear, it's fueled by self-hate, and there's no roadmap to lead you through grief, so it's pretty easy to lose your way. When I finally dragged my pathetic ass home at the end of that lost week, Marjorie was already gone. When I finished telling her the story, Carla whispered my name with enough pity in her voice to set my teeth on edge. More now. I shot her a warning look that suggested she wasn't to utter one word of comfort because we both knew I hadn't earned it. Grudgingly, she turned her attention back to the gator, who was now lounging quietly next to a pile of decaying animal remains that had grown considerably smaller. 